I always appreciate getting to share uh, at church on Mother's Day in particular. I, I appreciate that chance because Mother's Day is an important day for me, not just because I have a mom like everybody, um, but uh, to remember my mom. My mom died when I was 15. If you've been around our church for a while, uh, that will frequently come up in my story as I share about that. Um, and so Mother's Day, it, holds a lot of emotion for me, and uh, and it's always an honor to get to share those on that day about the grief part of Mother's Day, uh, but also to celebrate. And um, I have lots of moms still with me that I deeply, deeply love. My wife, my stepmom, my mother-in-law, my sister, and, and so many friends and family, many of you here uh, who I just think are amazing moms and I like to celebrate on this day. I'm wondering uh, what uh, for any of you, what is the most mom image that you can uh, imagine? Like if you were to, if you were to provide the uh, meme or gif for motherhood, what would it be? And if you want to share those in our chat, you can totally do that. For me, personally, the most mom image in the world, I'm gonna act it out, and then you can tell me what you think it is. It goes like this. Does anybody know what that is? Yes, exactly. It's the drive. It's it's when it's when a sudden break in the car and mom is driving and she goes, as if I'm not wearing my seatbelt, as a, like as if as if this would help, right? You know, like this. I just love that. That is the most mom image I can think of. Uh, so if you have uh, some sort of image in mind or gif or meme or something, maybe something you've seen before that made you laugh or made you smile, uh, feel free to drop it in the chat. We'd love to see those. Um, so the mothering qualities of God are what uh, I hope for us to feel nourished by today. And we prayed some of those already uh, in our songs and in the prayer that Haley had brought to us this morning. Um, this is going to kick off, as we do this today, it's going to kick off our church's use of a specific source for inspiration over the next couple months. Each Sunday, we're going to be looking at a different psalm, uh, psalms being the prayer and songbook of the Hebrew Bible. We're going to do this for several weeks now. And our guide through these psalms is going to be a book that I've picked up recently and really, really liking. Uh, it is, I'm going to put it up on the screen here for you so you can see it, it is called 21 Psalms for the 21st Century, uh, and it is written by a lady named Marjorie Suhaki. Uh, we'll drop a link in the chat if you want to pick this up, um, uh, so you can follow. It's, it's cheap. It's just a. It's a short book. It's devotional kind of style. So it's just like here's. Uh, it says read this psalm, and then here are some reflections and devotions based on it. Um, they're lovely. They're they're short. They're they're beautiful. Uh, they were all written during the pandemic, and then each one uh, ends with a contemporary psalm inspired by the biblical psalm. Uh, Marjorie Suhaki, the author, uh, she is a feminist process theologian, now in her 90s, so there is a lot of earned wisdom in these writings and in these reflections. Uh, process theology means that she it lives in this world of the open and relational view of God, which you may have heard us talk about on Sundays before. Uh, this is something we talk about often, the idea that uh, her view of God is not distant and outside of time and this all-powerful puppet master who occasionally drops into human affairs when God feels like it. No, her view of God is that God is always with us in the flow of time, interconnected and relational with all things. And we, as those, some of those things that God is in connection with, are also interconnected and relational with all other things. So God is responsive in real time, partnering with us to bring about the most goodness and joy and beauty and justice possible 
in our world. This is to use the, the biblical language to bring about God's will or God's kingdom. Although Marjorie Suhaki, as a feminist theologian, would prefer the translation rule of God rather than kingdom of God. So this seems to be the way that Jesus uh, viewed God and life. That's why we're, we're kind of moved by it. Uh, Jesus taught his disciples to pray and act uh, as though God's will is not always done, that we need to bring about God's uh, kingdom here on earth, on, on earth as it is in heaven. And so God is the most powerful force in all of life and wonderful. We, 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 we see God behind the most beautiful and just and wonderful things in the world, but we mustn't confuse ourselves and believe God's power to be this all-controlling, tinkering power as though there's some blueprint to everything that ever happens. And God, God is not a puppet master. God is not cosmic CEO that everything that ever happens ends up on God's desk and God signs it into existence. That's not the way we want to imagine God. Evil and, and, and human beings' bad choices and, and even random chance and weather patterns and the, the, the most horrible things that we might experience in life all are real things that might happen outside of God's will or against God's will. And that doesn't mean that there isn't a powerful God. It just means that God's power is not all controlling and tinkering. There is rather the interconnectedness of all things. And this wonderful, beautiful, powerful, just God is there with us as our ally. So that's the perspective that Suhaki is writing from. And that's a perspective that's been really helpful to many of us at our church. And I just wanted to kind of sink us back into it as we read her reflections on a psalm today. And the psalm that I've selected for this morning is a wonderful one for Mother's Day because, as I've been saying, it kind of sits us in the mothering qualities of the God of the universe. What does it mean that this powerful, beautiful, just God is like a good mother to us? We're going to read Psalm 91, and I think we'll get a picture of that. So let me put Psalm 91 up on the screen, and I'll read for us. <clears throat> you who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of El Shaddai, will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the hunter and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his wings and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and defense. You will not fear the terror of the night or the arrows that fly by day or the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked because you have made the Lord your refuge, the most high, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you. No scourge come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Those who love me, I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. When they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. With long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation.
One of the more beautiful psalms that we might encounter in the uh, prayer book of the Bible. Many psalms will dive into, um, dive into deep despair and then jump over to great joy, and it can almost feel like whiplash sometimes. This is one of those psalms that stays really consistent throughout, so it's one of the best ones to kind of like jump into the Bible and just say, oh man, I, I need some encouragement, I need some, uh, I'm just feeling down. This is one of those uh, psalms that stays really consistent because it grabs you in that place of fear or of despair, and it just pulls you gently toward trust, toward there is a God who will not let you dash your foot against the stone. And, uh, and so I find it really beautiful. I'm going to pull up a quote from Marjorie Suhaki, who I was mentioning, and the way that she uh, talks about this. I think it's really, really beautiful. Suhaki writes, Psalm 91 gives us a promise that is deeper than pain. The psalm details some of those pains, but more important than the description of peril and pain is the description of the God who shelters us. Not now as a king above all kings, nor a warrior mighty in battle. Those images are supplemented by strength of a different kind. God is imaged as a mother bird gathering her chicks under her wings. Did you guys check that? Under the wings, right? We've even we've probably heard and sung songs that like use that imagery. Under, you know, keep us under your wings, keep us as the apple of your eye. Those kind of things. Uh, God, his image is a mother bird gathering chicks under her wings, protecting them from harm. I love this line from Suhaki. She says the pronouns are masculine, but the image, right? The pronouns are masculine, but the image. God gathers us closely like a mother, gathering her children protectively around her, keeping them safe in her embrace. This would evidently become one of the most meaningful Jewish images of God to Jesus. Jesus, uh, uh, in the Gospels, is recorded talking about God's desire to protectively gather the oppressed masses to him like a mother hen is the image that Jesus uses. So Jesus kind of has the same kind of idea, I think, as Suhaki. The, Im- the, ma- the pronouns are masculine, but the images are all mothering. It's different. There's one thing in Psalm 91 that is really worth drawing attention to because it's something that I think actually applies broadly to any time we might be somebody who is looking for encouragement and might turn to the scriptures, the Bible, uh, and, uh, and, are, and are looking for encouragement. And what it is is it's this name for God in verse 1 that I left untranslated for us. So you'll notice, I, I, I put it up on the screen, it says, those who, how does it begin? Uh, you who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of El Shaddai. I left this untranslated for us, that's a Hebrew word. And I did that for a reason. Has anybody ever heard El Shaddai before? Anybody grow up listening to Christian music in the 90s and they know the word El Shaddai? Why do you know the word El Shaddai, people who grew up in the 90s in Christian culture? Amy Grant, oh yeah, oh yeah. Now, I, I did not grow up going to uh, Christian churches in the 90s, so I didn't, I, I have only learned about the lore of Amy Grant in post, but perhaps you can all, you know, sing Amy Grant for me. Nope, okay, never mind. Uh, anyway, uh, so El Shaddai is this kind of famous word because if, you, if you grew up Christian in the 90s because you've heard it before. Um, but it, it's a Hebrew word. It's one of the many uh, titles or names that is, uh, is, is applied to God in the Hebrew scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, or the Old Testament as it's sometimes called. Um, 
Does anybody know what El Shaddai is translated to in most English translations of the Bible? I, I asked because I brought this up recently in church. And, uh, and so if this is review to you, does anybody remember what El Shaddai is usually translated to? Yes. Yeah, I heard it twice. God Almighty. God Almighty is how Shaddai is usually translated. El is a word for deity or God. Shaddai is a descriptor attached to El. And the Hebrews use that to refer to their specific God. And it's traditionally translated in English as Almighty. As a result, those two words in, the tradi- like the, in that English translation, God Almighty, we, we are just like, it's unthinking the way those are linked, right? Like God Almighty, we don't think twice about that, right? It's, it's reflexive. Like the, those just go together. Lord Almighty, God Almighty. But the reason we don't think twice about that pairing is a legacy of translation choices made centuries ago that many theologians and scholars today, like Marjorie Suhaki, who we're reading from, are rethinking. They're actually wondering like, ooh, is this the best translation? This is a lot of history behind it, so it's kind of hard to like turn a you know, a cart that's like, you know, got a lot of momentum, but is this, is this, is this right? I'll tell you a little bit why. So linguists have identified that two, the two root words that play into this word in Hebrew, Shaddai, are one is a word for mountain, giving us God of the mountain, right? El Shaddai, God of the mountain. That, that could be uh, what, what's being grabbed at with that use of the Shaddai. And the other word is the word for a mother's breast. Interesting. So it's like God, the, the, the well-breasted nourisher. Yeah. God of the mountain or God of the breast. Interesting. That's very different than God Almighty, right? Yeah. It's even like uncomfortable, I think, to a lot of people. Like, can we say that? Can we say God of the breast? Is that allowed? Oh, gosh. Scandalous. <laughs> Do you feel that? Yeah, of course you do. Don't lie. You feel that? So it's like trying to find the common denominator. This is the job of linguists or translators. It's trying to find the common denominator between these two images, mountain and mother's breast. And so uh, probably a better translation, a better English translation of what El Shaddai is trying to communicate is refuge, the protective refuge of a mountain, the nourishing refuge of a mother's breast. Those fit with the rest of Psalm 91, right? It was all about refuge. It was all about being with me in trouble. God, our refuge, is maybe a, a cleaner, better translation for English. However, early on in the story of translation from one language to the next, to the next, to the next, for the Hebrew Bible, the choice of Almighty was made for Shaddai. And it's not terrible, right? Like, a mountain can feel mighty, Right? The, um, a mother's love can be mighty, right? So almighty is not a terrible word, but you can feel like the implicit patriarchy behind that, right? You know, God, re- God our refuge is not dominating enough, right? It's not strong enough. So we got to go with God almighty. That's, that, that's a little bit more like, oh yeah, God almighty, strong God, right? You can feel it behind there. And so you know, for people throughout history reading first the Hebrew Bible in Greek, and then later the, the, the Bible in German, and then later the Bible in English, and, you know, and now in countless languages, El Shaddai in every instance now is translated God Almighty. It occurs 48 times in the Hebrew Bible. It's a pretty common term used to address God. 
48 times. And then I'm, I'm, I might be slightly wrong in the details here, but I believe I heard that God Almighty, that phrase, those two words together in English, is the most used title for God in the Book of Common Prayer. So interesting, it goes from 48 times in the Hebrew Bible to the most used phrase in the Book of Common Prayer. And the Book of Common Prayer has influenced so much of Protestant Christianity's prayer life. Even Protestant traditions like evangelicalism, which don't actually use written prayers, they prefer to like pray on the spot, off the dome. Uh, the legacy of that language from what started with the Book of Common Prayer is still in a lot of the background. And so we, we unthinkingly combine God and Almighty together, Lord and Almighty together. It's just, we don't even think twice about it. It's an automatic connection. But this is, so this is not just historically interesting. The reason I bring this up is this is practically important. Think about it. When we don't think twice about pairing those two words, God equals Almighty and Almighty equals God. What does that get us? It gets us the all-controlling deity up in the sky, removed from us, outside of time, cosmic CEO, puppet master. That's our, that's our immediate image of God when that's the most used term in our prayer book, right? Anything else is kind of like, uh, it's, it's a supplemental picture, but the, the biggest picture of God is cosmic CEO in the sky, Occasionally drops down to do a miracle, but mostly just dictating things from afar. Mostly just passively allowing everything from a distance. So everything that ever happened must be this God's will or allowed by God for a reason. So that pain that you're experiencing, God must be teaching you a lesson. Have you heard that before? Yeah. My mom's cancer that killed her when I was 15, God works in mysterious ways. That's how we respond to it. My friend who experienced abuse when she was a child, God must have allowed it for a reason. That's how we respond to those things. When we have the almighty God, Hurricane Katrina, the pandemic, God's judgment, we call it, right? Quite confidently, not thinking at all about the implications of that, right? That is troubling when we make such jumps we speak in such ways. This is the, the classical view of God that, that terrorizes so many people or that leaves many people concluding rightly, if that's what it means to believe in God, I would rather not believe in God. To quote Dostoevsky, I return my ticket. This is why we are so moved in this church by a different view of God and life, this open and relational view. We are not praying to God Almighty, if Almighty means that tinkering, controlling, cosmic CEO, that image of God is not worthy to worship when we consider all the pain in life. To use the words from Psalm 91, the terror, the pestilence, the destruction. When we consider those things, the all-controlling God up in the sky is not worthy of worship. Here we pray to God, the mountain refuge. God, the, the God of the mother's breast, that's who we pray to. That is a God worthy of worship. That is a God whom we can trust and follow and be nourished by and be taught by because, of course, pain is and can become a wonderful teacher to us, but we are taught not by the one who planned our pain, but by the one who redeems our pain. 
We can still use the word almighty if that familiarity feels special to us. It's just important we remember what that does mean on biblical terms and what that doesn't mean. It does not, almighty does not mean controlling power. When we read in the hands of El Shaddai, in the hands of God Almighty, if we want to use that language, does not mean in the hands of Almighty and that everything comes back to that God. It means anything can be redeemed. That's the almightiness of God. That's the all-powerfulness of God. That's what the refuge and the nourishment of a mother God provides us. No pain or senseless suffering or evil or injustice or crappiness or stress or exhaustion or hardship can, will ever go unacknowledged by our mother God. We can go back to our mother. Let her hold us. So I love this idea of like, if you come across in, in like, in, anything, in the Bible, but also in anyone writing about God or using the Bible or like writing a prayer for you. If you ever come across the phrase God Almighty, swap it. Swap it for God our refuge or swap it for God our mother or swap it for God the mountain. You know, those are, those are different images. Marjorie Suhaki connects Psalm 91's arrows and destruction and pestilence. She connects those to today's threats. She wrote this during the pandemic, the pestilence as the COVID-19 pandemic, the arrows and destructions as the threat of nuclear war or gun violence in America. And then she points to this hopeful message at the center of the psalm, no evil shall befall you. That's what the psalm says, no evil shall befall you. Really, she says? Can we really say that? That no, like, okay, so I'm going to put another quote up here on Marjorie because she just, she just asks it flat out. Get it up here for you. There we go. Is it true, all of it? Loved ones die and we sob our hearts out in grief uh, and grief does not abate. We sob our hearts out and grief does not abate. We are stricken with dreadful diseases that take away this or that essential ability and we struggle to overcome we're plunged into poverty with no seeming way out. A family is lost. A home is lost. A country is lost. Yet we trusted God. Is it true then? No evil will befall us? How so? And then Marjorie writes, I myself have lived a long life. And like everyone who has managed eight or more decades, I have lived through many a pain and a trial. And yes, I have found this psalm's assertions deeply true. It's not possible, given our finitude, to live without pain and loss. But there is a love that is deeper than pain. A presence that endures even in absence. A strength surpassing our finitude and weakness. A health that is deeper than death. The undergirding, everlasting, sustaining God is with us making it possible for us to go on, keeping us like a mother bird, shielding her children beneath her wings, no matter what. That speaks to me. That speaks to me. I, don't, I, I love it because she is not trite or over-promising, right? It's not like, yeah, God, you're, you, if you give your life to following Jesus, no evil will befall you ever because life's going to be great, you know? 
was deeply in touch with the wounds and pains of life. But neither does she settle for a cynical view. There is a love that is deeper than pain. That's the message. That's the message of no evil shall befall you. There is a love that is deeper than pain. And I think Mother's Day every year reminds us of this. I can never experience this day without some mingling grief. I just can't. It's part of my story. For most people, it eventually becomes everyone's story. They can never quite experience Mother's Day without remembering the loss of some mothers in their life. And as I consider all of the complicated stories of people I've met through this church with other challenging things that have to do with mothering, not necessarily loss, but maybe absent mothers, maybe wanting to be a mother but can't. There are so many ways that Mother's Day kind of brings us right to the message that we need to hear from Psalm 91, that there is a love that is deeper than pain. Because my experience, like Mother's Day after Mother's Day now, is emphatically that that is true. I, I have to look for it sometimes. It takes paying attention a certain way, shutting out the distractions, slowing down, intentionally choosing not to get caught up in whatever rat race is calling my name. But God is there consistently accessible, always waiting for me like my mom was on her best days. And that is the mothering quality of God. So I, as, as a prayer to, um, to move us through to uh, the close of our service today, as a prayer, I want to read Psalm 91 again. And I want us to, I want us to uh, really receive it as a prayer. And so, if it helps you to, um, if it helps you to close your eyes, if it helps you, you know, to kind of use your imagination to enter into this, um, whatever it is that can kind of um, help you to prayer. Prayer is is a, 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 we quote uh, the poet Mary Oliver a great deal. It's about paying attention. We are not alone, any of us. Jesus has said that I will send you my Spirit. We may all in our own internal lives, experience the Spirit of God at any point, always accessible to us. It does require paying attention, though. And we can learn to exercise that muscle that we may pay attention more readily. And so let me lead us in an exercise of paying attention, looking for the mothering qualities of God coming to us now as we pray this psalm. And just take a deep breath with me. I have had a cold this week, so I need to take another deep breath because I can just feel it rattling around. Okay. Let me pray. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of God, the well-breasted mountain refuge, will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. We say to the Lord, our refuge, our fortress, our God in whom we trust. For she will deliver you from the snare of the hunter and from the deadly pestilence. She will deliver us. She will cover us with her wings and under her wings we will find refuge. Her faithfulness is a shield and defense. 
You will not fear the terror of the night or the arrows that fly by day or the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will look only with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked because you have made the Lord your refuge, the most high your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you. No scourge come near your tent. For she will command her angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. And finally, our mother God says to us, those who love me, I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. When they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. With long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. God, our mother, we need to pray because we need to hear this. Let that final stanza there of Psalm 91 rest on us and fill us up how we need to feel what it is to be loved and to love. How we need to feel what it is to be, to be known and to know. To be reassured as a mother reassures her child. Protected as a mother protects her child. Nourished and satisfied as a mother nourishes and satisfies her child. And from that place, God, move us. Move us to bring about the goodness and the beauty and the justice and the love that you are so powerfully working toward always and we have a chance to join in. Move us toward a world where more people can honestly speak things like, no evil shall befall me. Especially the poor, the neglected, the systemically oppressed, that more and more and more would be able to say, no evil shall befall me. Would you lure us and inspire us to partner with you, our great mother, in this movement to provide refuge. God, our refuge. Would that speak to us in the personal losses and pains whether that is stirred up by Mother's Day or stirred up by any other thing that might be going on in our lives? And would that speak to us against the very large, the, the terrors, the, the pestilence, the destruction that is all around us? And we pray this in Jesus' name, who shows us the mother hen God. Amen.